Hey everyone, this is another Patreon preview. This one is part of our series that cites the book Rebel Rank and File, where we basically go over a bunch of stories of the rank and file upsurge in the 1970s. On this part two, we talk about the UAW and the CWA. And uh, if you'd like the full thing, you become you can become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage and support us with $5 a month. We're entirely listener supported, so we very much so appreciate that. And if you can't afford to become a patron, go ahead and hop in the Discord, message one of the admins, and we'd be happy to hook you up with all of this great information. And with that, solidarity forever. Yeah, I mean, I really don't think it's unfair to say, like, Jeff Bezos is basically just a modern-day Henry Ford in that respect. Mm -hmm. And I would use that as an argument with people more often if Henry Ford wasn't, unfortunately and perversely, such a well-respected figure in American history, despite being a horrible piece of shit and a Nazi to boot. That's right. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I thought of when I I was reading the book and, and saw that quote, I was just like... Damn, if you told me that that was not from, you know, an auto worker in the early 70s and would, mm-hmm. and was in fact from literally any Amazon warehouse worker, I'd been like, yeah, that sounds like all the quotes we hear from Amazon warehouse workers all the time. <laughs> right. Well, and, uh, you know, what are we seeing from workers who are facing these conditions right now? Movements for more rank and file control of their unions or just control of their workplace in the first place. And so... Back then, we also saw a movement for more rank and file control of the unions uh, developing during this, of UAW specifically, developing during this period as workers became fed up with contracts they felt were far too friendly to the companies. The United National Caucus was formed in 1966 and mobilized tens of thousands of workers to demand higher wages. And at the 1968 UAW convention, the UNC put forward many demands to improve internal union democracy, such as direct election of all members of the International Executive Board, which would not be realized literally until this year. 2022, 54 years later. Uh, And they also asked for doubling strike benefits and freezing full-time union staff salaries. Uh, 54 years to accomplish that? Yeah, those are like the the strike benefits and the freezing of of, uh, union staff salaries. Those are literally like like UAWD slash uh, Workers United uh, platform positions today. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels. The, the the fight for internal democracy in the UAW has been going on literally over half a century at this point. Yeah, twice as long as I've been alive. Uh, and at the 1970 convention, the UNC ran a full slate of candidates for office on a platform of a $5 an hour minimum wage for auto workers, which is the equivalent of $40 an hour today, <laughs> and an increase also of 50% over the $3.30 minimum wage at that time. They also called for restoration of cost of living adjustments without the caps that had been implemented in recent contracts, which were costing workers thousands of dollars. They called for an improved grievance policy, a 25 and out pension policy, meaning that no matter uh, how old you were, if you worked for the company for 25 years, you were entitled to a pension, and referendum voting for all union officers. These are similar to demands put forward by the UAWD movement today, as we had just previously mentioned. Um, 25 and out pension policy. We don't even have pensions anymore. That's yeah. like, yeah. I, I'm looking at that and I'm like, that's a thing you can ask for. Uh, the UNC also called for changes that would curb bureaucratic tendencies within the union by requiring official salaries to be no higher than the workers they represented 
God, that's badass. And empower militant locals by giving them the right to strike without national level approval. The UNC membership actively pushed for rejections of concessionary contracts like the 1973 Ford Skilled Trades contract. The tentative agreement presented by the UAW staff included an overtime provision allowing Ford to bring in non-union labor if insufficient union workers accepted voluntary OT. UNC members organized against the conference, handing out leaflets to workers, and held press conferences and rallies calling for rejection of the deal. Workers voted it down 80 to 20 percent leading the national UAW to drop the overtime provision from the contract, which is so great because companies are constantly trying to figure out ways like, can I have a little scabs, please? If, if, <laughs> yeah, if just this yeah. one specific situation, if, if I line up all sevens on the slot machine and I hit a bingo on my card at the same time, can I bring in <laughs> one scab, please? Yeah. You can I- never, ever allow it because it, they're mm-hmm. always going to ask for more. Yeah, I think that what uh, is what this really is is a admit the admittance that voluntary OT does not exist. That there's yeah. no such thing as voluntary OT. Like to say that like oh there weren't enough people and so we have to bring in scabs is to them saying that we won't bring in more union workers. Right, and we exactly. won't have union workers doing these positions. Are doing these sorts of this sort of work and lowering the actual workday or the amount of stress that this job causes in order to facilitate people actually being able to fill this time or even just having enough workers to not need overtime in the first place. Right. Well, and it, it, it like you said, it forces it says to the company, look, if you want more work to get done, you need to hire more of us specifically. Yeah. And and this is an issue that uh, the Teamsters in particular are fighting against today because there's a lot of provisions in the uh, shitty UPS contract that uh, Hoffa Jr. was able to foist onto the workers over the objection of the majority uh, in, in their last deal that has allowed UPS to bring in all sorts of like non-union part-time labor, especially in like warehouse stuff. And I'm like, we talked about like, that was an issue. I, I think that was an issue in the Cisco strike was provisions allowing the company to use non-union labor. I'm not hundred percent sure, but, but this is, this is still a real issue today because there's all sorts of places where when they do still have a union workforce, where they're always trying to find these ways to chip away at it. But mm-hmm. one other thing though, like I just wanted to mention about this, that push for you mentioned this john like that push for tying leadership salaries to be no higher than the workers is such an important one but i honestly think that the better way to go about it personally i think would be to take it a step further and say that the salaries of the like staff the elected officers should be no higher than the average of the lowest 20 percent of workers sure. because then because with the the being no higher than like any regular worker that does give you know incentive to raise worker salaries but if you can target it at like a small group of whoever the you know especially if you're talking about like auto work you're you could then you can end up just focusing on only the skilled trades and, and like because what happens to the lowest paid workers doesn't really mm-hmm. affect you. And that's not to say that there was no like UAW officers who got decent salaries who then also, you know, fought to get better conditions for the lowest paid workers. I'm certain there were and are. But as an incentive, I think tying it to the lowest paid group of workers is is even better because that like it always will keep you wanting to make it so that the floor 
for being a union worker keeps going higher and higher and higher, which all that can do is help you with your recruitment because you can then say, look, no matter how inexperienced you are, when you come in, this is what you're going to get as your minimum starting salary, and we're always going to be fighting to make that go up. Right. Well, and it really minimizes the uh, alienation between leadership. Mm-hmm. Like it forces them to stay connected in a, in a very real sense to the lowest paid uh, union workers on the job. And, um, you know, that kind of alienation can be really disruptive, especially when it's combined with something like a large corporation's unrelenting advances to press speed up and begin implementing lean manufacturing. Uh, And then, you know, if you're facing that and then on top of that, your union is completely reluctant to resist the company in doing so, you're going to end up with a lot of unauthorized work stoppages, a.k.a. uh, known more colorfully as wildcat strikes. So on February 28th, uh, 1973, a worker at Chrysler's Jefferson Avenue assembly plant was fired for refusing to add yet another responsibility to his already sped up workload. The entire department walked out demanding he be rehired, which Chrysler agreed to, but then fired a worker, John Miller, who led the walkout. The union promised to address the issue if workers remained on the line. But when he had not been rehired after five days, both of the plant's shifts walked out on strike. Despite exhortations by UAW staff to return to work, uh, that they would address the firing by normal channels, workers shut the plant down for four days, very long for an unauthorized strike, that the union itself was trying to shut down. The speed-up led directly to an increase in injuries and a neglect of safety protocols and maintenance procedures. One lifelet by the militant workers at the time explained the situation, saying, quote, At least once or twice a month, somebody loses a finger or a hand in a press. Oil drips from the presses all over your clothes. Most of the time, the floors are oily and slippery. You have to work surrounded by scrap and slugs on which you can slip and fall and which can cut you. When it is hot outside, it's sizzling inside, particularly in the welding areas where you have to wear heavy protective clothing. The welding fumes are dangerous to health, as are the fumes from the gas high lows. Welders are always being burned and scarred by the sparks. Whenever a worker refuses to place his hands under a dye area or to operate an unsafe press, the foreman puts a probation employee on the job who cannot refuse and this is something you still see today uh like i i you know stock vending machines and one of the places that i go there's always a bunch of clearly untrained dudes who are probably making the minimum wage uh who are operating a giant metal box the size of a house that has a sign on it that has instructions on how to handle the 400 degree metal materials that come out from the inside these guys aren't wearing gloves they're not wearing visors they're not wearing any of that shit and i'm like god i know you don't have a union (laughs) yeah like yeah yeah no kidding